welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Yeah, we're talking about prayer uh, over the last few weeks and we're continuing with that theme. Uh, and then next week, Byron's away celebrating his wife's birthday, but he, as you may know, is a, a real man of prayer and he'll be preaching next Sunday. Uh, so you don't want to miss that. Uh, today I want to talk about praying for revival. And as you may know, in America, they've had what they're calling the Asbury Revival in a small Christian college in Kentucky. And uh, it's been on... Uh, all kinds of different uh, media channels, even in you know secular, non-Christian designated um, uh, websites and uh, TV channels, and uh, they've had meetings that have been going around the clock since about February the eighth, a few weeks ago. Um, and as you may know, it started with the normal morning chapel service, uh, where the lay preacher, the volunteer, who's the soccer coach, I think, in the college. Uh, felt a little flustered. He didn't have much time to prepare a solid message and he felt it was really not his best at all. Um, and, uh, and yet, when he closed the meeting, some of the students stayed on and prayed and kept praying. And they sensed the presence of God. And uh, then others heard about it and started texting their friends, you want to come back? Come back to the chapel. Something's going on here. And then word got out and snowballed. And then within days, thousands of people were coming from all over America and other parts of the world to come and sense the presence of God, draw close to God, experience what they're calling a revival. And... um, and now, of course, the college has said, well, students are going to get back to class. Uh, so we're going to try and get other facilities in the town to hopefully keep hosting what God is doing in people's lives. And so that's exciting. Uh, and I read about it. Interestingly, that college uh, has got a history of these kinds of awakenings or revivals or moves of God. Uh, they've had a number of them over the years. And in fact, Francis Asprey, from whom the college is named after, was a revivalist himself. He was sent from England by John Wesley, was a circuit preacher and one of the leaders of the second great awakening movement of revival that went around a couple of hundred years ago in America. Uh, and so that's exciting. Of course, some people would say, oh, well, it's not really a revival because it's just for the Christians. It's just a, a, a refreshing, a renewal. Well, you know, sometimes there's some semantics going around, but I think we can still recognise it's still a move of God. And it's still exciting to hear stories of people who are awakened to the things of God. And I want to think about that this morning because this has gone on throughout church history. Seasons, waves, ebbs, flows from uh, churches and Christians, maybe sometimes just in a local area, just within the church, perhaps just being revitalised in their faith, all the way to full-blown Revivals where you would say, okay, this is a community awareness of who Jesus is. This is really affecting other people out into the broader community, not just within the church, to the point that you see addictions dropping on a large scale, crime rates dropping, uh, marriages restored, values and, and morals in society shifting and becoming more godly and biblical. And so this has occurred 
and this is uh, exciting, uh, and it happens in, in, in all different countries, in different seasons, in different ways, in different cultures, but there's one thing that Christian historians will always comment on when they research these revivals or awakenings. There's one common denominator, and that is that they are always preceded by prayer. So there's this tension where there's the sovereignty of God. You can pray and nothing might happen immediately, but then again, God doesn't really do it without people praying. And so there's a, a sort of a tension. And, uh, and of course, the prayer that goes on, that brings revivals, that ushers in a, a powerful, exciting move of God that touches people and leads to people getting born again in large numbers, it's not just the bless me kind of prayer. It's not just that prayer when, you know, you're running out the door, God, I promise I'll make a bit more time to pray tomorrow, but for the moment, just help me get through the day, amen. Uh, and so these are prayers that are passionate, Bible-based, spirit-filled, faith-filled, intercessory, strong prayers with humility, repentance, integrity, and a prophetic edge that proclaims God's will, God's blessing. God's promises over people. And, uh, and of course, this is scriptural because the Bible is full of examples of God responding to the prayers of his people, sending salvation, sending deliverance, sending times of refreshing, shining his glory. So let me have a look at a few of these verses and hopefully they pop up um, because of our amazing team up the back there. And if they don't, then you just turn around and make them feel terrible and glare at them and, and, uh, uh, and then that's a good character test for them. But I'm sure. Uh, Exodus 2, chapter, Exodus chapter 2, I should say. Uh, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So all through the Old Testament, you see the nation of Israel sinning, falling away, but then repenting, calling out to God, groaning as it says here, crying out, and then God hears. God forgives. God moves. He's concerned about them. Psalm 22 verse 4, in you our fathers put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. And so there's that prayer that cries out to God and then God moves. And saves and delivers people. First Samuel chapter 7, verse 9. Samuel took a suckling lamb, offered it up as a burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf and the Lord answered him. So that's interceding. That's praying for someone who isn't praying. Praying for someone who needs the Lord but maybe doesn't even know they need the Lord. And there's God hearing someone's prayer on behalf of someone else and then moving and answering. First Chronicles chapter 5, verse 20. They were helped in fighting them and God handed the Hagrites and all their allies over to them because they cried out to him during the battle. He answered their prayers because they trusted in him. And again, in the Old Testament, you often see physical battles being won, not because of the might of the army, but because of the strength of the prayers. And in the New Testament, we're not out there with swords and trying to kill people. We are fighting a spiritual battle. But the principle applies that when we pray, cry out to God, he helps us in our battles and overcomes the devil, the enemy's works, the darkness that's in the world. It's exciting, isn't it? You want one more? 
2 Chronicles 7, verse 1 to 2. Solomon, you may have heard of him, rather well-off guy. Um, When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. And so that's happened at different times. God's everywhere, but an awareness of God can ebb and flow. A sense of God's presence can increase at times so that people are aware of his glory. And so, and then, of course, in the New Testament, you can read about how prayer ushered in the power of the Holy Ghost as he came on the day of Pentecost, birthing the church. A chapter later, in Acts chapter 3, you hear Peter saying, Repent and turn to God so your sins might be wiped out and times of refreshing will come from the Lord. And so there's prayer for repentance that brings refreshing because who knows, sometimes in life, things can get a little dry, a little dusty and that shouldn't shake your faith but then there are seasons sometimes when God, ah, sends a refreshing and a, and a touch. And we heard from Maddie a couple of weeks ago just walking into the service and just being aware of the presence of God and, and, and really sensing it stronger in that moment than maybe other times. And then when you read through uh, the book of Acts, you see how they um, uh, prayed uh, a chapter or two later. It said the, um, the pr- place where they prayed was shaken and everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And so there's prayer again, making a real difference, changing people's lives, giving them boldness. And then one more verse uh, here um, about Jesus praying and interceding. Look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. Uh, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death and he was heard because of his reverent submission. And we know that Jesus carries on this ministry of intercession. Jesus is interceding right now. And so God's will is clear that his people are called to pray, to pray prayers of intercession, prayers that will usher in a move of God. And the great uh, Bible commentator Matthew Henry wrote this, when God intends to do great mercy for his people, the first thing he does is set them a-praying. So God moves on his people, and that's why we hear this catchphrase, prayer, uh, sorry, you know, revival always begins in us. And it's true, revival always begins with those that know the Lord, people who are already born again, but are feeling led to pray a little more than just the, oh God, look after me and bless me. And so God does want to move, and again, there's this tension where he moves on people who then press in and pray, and then things start to happen. And as I said, Christian historians have found this to be true all throughout a study of revivals. And it makes for fascinating reading when you read about different revivals. For example, in 1949, the Outer Hebrides, has anyone ever been to the Outer Hebrides, islands off the coast of Scotland, remote collection of islands, And there was a revival that took place and a Scottish preacher by the name of Duncan Campbell, great Scottish name, was the main preacher associated with this move. Hundreds of people were born again, all sorts of things going on in the community. But while many people knew about Duncan Campbell, what was less known 
were that there were these two little old ladies, two sisters who lived in a little cottage who were very much behind the scenes, but they'd been praying for their community. Peggy Smith was 84 years old and blind. And her little sister was bent over with arthritis. She was 82. And they had been praying in their home late into the evenings, often into the early hours of the morning, for God to send a revival to their community. They prayed by name for every single person in every cottage in their village and for other villages spread around the islands. At the same time, without them knowing, there were seven young men across town who also started to gather to pray. Three nights a week, they met in a barn and they also cried out to God for revival. One night, their prayer meeting in the barn was filled with the glory of God so much that the young men fell down on the floor. And at the very same time, Peggy Smith on the other side of town got a vision and she saw her church packed with people and a man preaching in the pulpit that she'd never seen before. So they sent word the next day to their pastor and they said, we've broken through in prayer. Heaven is about to descend on earth. And it did. People started to pray. A new awareness of God started to build in the community. So they decided to send for this evangelist, Duncan Campbell, to come and hold meetings. So he arrived. And the first night, they had a good meeting. They had a few hundred people that came. And he preached. And in his own words, he said it was okay, but nothing special happened. And they were packing up to go and people mingling around, leaving, chatting and all that. A young man came up to him and said, revival is hovering and it's about to break out. And he started to pray. And Duncan Campbell said, well, you know, I thought it was kind of pretty much done for the evening, but this young man was carrying a weight of prayer. And so he, he, he said something like he was almost watching this young man praying, sort of half into it, but half just following and waiting. Suddenly, another young, young man came running in and said, you'd better come and look at this. It was now 11 o'clock at night. They opened the door. There was a crowd of between six and 700 people that had gathered outside the church after everyone else had gone home at 11 o'clock at night. And years later, Duncan Campbell preached about this move of God and specifically about that incident. And I found a recording of him talking about it so we've got a one minute, there he is, there's the two little old ladies, the Smith girls, and, um, and listen to, you'll love his thick Scottish accent. We got that? Village and Hamlet, the people came. Were you to ask some of them today, what was it that moved you? They couldn't tell you. Only that they were moved by a power that they could not explain, and the power was such as to give them to understand and see that they were hell-deserving sinners. And of course, the only place they could think of where they might find help was at the church. I thought we had more. Okay, that's good. Look, um... You can look that up. You can listen to it. Like he's got a, an hour-long sermon that someone recorded and he's preaching about this and it makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. It, it, it just the, so the people that night who arrived, they had gone to bed, but they were stirred to get up and get dressed and go to the local church and they didn't know why. 
And at the same time, some of the six to, he says there was six to seven hundred people in his estimate, estimation. There was a, a, a dance in a local community hall and a whole bunch of young people, about a hundred young people said suddenly they felt the urge to get out of the dance. They probably thought it was sinful. I don't know if there was you know, that extreme, but that uh, they said it was as if there was a plague in the building that they had to get out and they got out and then they felt also drawn and they all came to this church and they made it there. The meeting went on until four in the morning. Hundreds of people were born again and a number of them became full-time ministers. So then at 4am, he leaves the meeting. He's going to the parsonage where he's going to stay the night someone approaches him and said, you'd better come and look at this. He goes, what? They go down to the police station and there's hundreds of people gathering around the police station. And he said he saw people all along the road kneeling and crying out to God in repentance for their sin. He arrived at the police station. He found a crowd of hundreds of people calling on God for mercy. Many had come in buses from other villages miles away. When asked why they had come there, they didn't have an answer. They said they just had a hunger in their heart to go to the village of Barvas, which was where this church was located. And why did they go to the police station? Well, he guessed that it was because the sergeant was a very godly man and he was the sergeant in the police station. Others said, oh, did you not notice? The cottage right next to the police station, that's Peggy and, Maggie, Peggy and Christine Smith's little home. And maybe there was some kind of anointing or magnetic drawing power, whatever. We don't know. But the move of God spread to other villages, other islands. The impact went on for years. Churches were packed to overflowing. And it wasn't just in the churches. Campbell reported that 75% of the people that were saved encountered God before they even went to a church meeting. People said they just felt the presence of God all over the community. Wherever they went, they, they often were overwhelmed by it and just fell down before God in repentance. All because of a couple of little old ladies and a few young dudes setting themselves to pray. Isn't that exciting? So, and, and he defined revival as a community saturated with God because that's exactly what occurred and, and, and will occur again. And this is what we pray for. Look at this scripture from Isaiah chapter 43. Do not be afraid. This is a prophecy right, that Isaiah brought. Uh, Do not be afraid for I am with you. This is God speaking. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up and to the south. Do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So the initial context of that passage is, of course, the release of the Jews out of captivity, bringing them back to Israel. But it's also a prophetic reference to the great redemptive work of Jesus and the reach of the gospel for God calling people from the ends of the earth to the north, the south, the east, the west, the four points of the compass, to come to Christ, to come to be saved, to come into his family. And, uh, and every church in the world is a salvation station that is, in a sense, the centre of whatever is north, south, east and west of them. You know, because this is a place where if someone comes here from any direction, they can meet Christ. And it doesn't have to be in a, you know, geographical place, but it's a, it's a centre of where God moves and stirs people. And, so, and that's why we are going to pray in those four different places and prophetically say, give them up. 
to the north, south, east and west. Yeah, Let people be saved from all these areas, from those directions. And so we pray for an awakening, a revival, a move of God. But we never know what it's going to look like. See, so it can be on a, on, a, on a huge macro scale, whole nations being stirred and affected. And, and Ruth said, well, last week that, you know, when things annoy you or get your attention or things that bother you, you don't just complain about them, you pray about them. And so things shift. It might be just praying, you know, as Jesus said, pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you see something that isn't God's will and it bothers you, you then go to prayer about that. And of course, we pray for our local community and then even down to the point of praying for individuals, for personal individual revival or awakening and everything in between. Because I've seen, look, in my lifetime, I've seen variations of what you could call awakenings or revivals. I got first, uh, first uh, born again in the late 70s, it was the Jesus movement. We didn't know it at the time, but so many people in the area where I grew up were all getting born again. We were all going to youth groups. We didn't know much about church, but it was just this hippie kind of Jesus, long hair, figure out what life's all about, and, uh, and we discovered Jesus. And then in the early 80s, there was the charismatic renewal, a lot of people discovering spirit-filled ministry and churches that were, I guess we'd still be called Pentecostal or charismatic, having the Holy Spirit move. And we went down and saw this guy in a safari suit preaching, you know, contemporary sounding stuff with a band and that was Phil Pringle. People say, oh, be careful, happy clappy, fruit tingle, or oh, watch out for that guy, oh, there's a muscle in the back of the neck, they make him fall over, oh, you know, and people are a bit concerned in some of the traditional churches. Over the years, they cotton on that it's not the devil, it's just God, you know, and new wine, new wineskins, all that can rattle the church a bit, but it was a, a renewal, if you like, and then, and then, uh, Oh, flip, then we went to Russia and that was a revival. We saw, we saw 50 people born again every single Sunday. And I would say, hang on, don't come forward unless you've really considered what you're doing. Imagine that. Those preachers are like, please come forward. One more, is there one more, please? We're like, all right, now we're going to have a moment. We're going to pray for you if you want to give your life. Just settle down, settle down, settle down. Think about it. You know. And, and it was a historic time of revival. And interestingly, prophets came and said the doors will be opened, the Western influence and impact for only a season, 20 or 30 years. And our last first visit was in 92. Our last visit was 2019. I'm not going back tomorrow, you know. And so who knows when we could go back or other. But they've still, they've got a lot of good input. There were, as you know, communism meant... For 70 years, you couldn't have free church worship, Bible colleges, training, and so that's what we did for a couple of years, and that was very exciting. Um, and then, of course, in the mid-90s, I had the opportunity to go to Toronto, the Father's Blessing, as John Arnott called it, the river, as others call it, you know, move of God, people laughing and falling on the ground and, you know, looking silly for Jesus. And, you know, so there's different times and seasons, and God will move again. And as I said, it doesn't have to be like a massive scale. It can be just for an individual. And, and you can't guarantee that someone's going to be born again when you pray for them. But you can witness to them and then you can pray for your witness. You can pray for their heart. You can pray that something's happening so that they soften up. That's what Leslie Strobel did. Now, her husband is the well-known Christian author, Lee Strobel. 
and I read about this recently, uh, he, he was a very strong atheist. He was a, uh, uh, an investigative uh, journalist and, um, and, and an atheist, and she became a Christian, and he thought, well, that's it. Marriage is over. I'm going to have to divorce her. He, but, so she started praying, and God gave her this verse from Ezekiel 36, 26. You might have heard this. It says, I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And so she prayed for her husband, God, soften his heart, give him a heart of flesh. He's so hard and angry. And so, and so after a while, his heart softened. And, and he was aware of the changes in her life. So as a journalist who investigated things, he, he felt stirred to investigate the Christian faith for himself what it was all about, and he ended up being convinced of the truth of the gospel, giving his life to Christ. You could say a revival came just in an individual way to him. And, of course, he went on to write about his journey of discovery in the very best-selling book, A Case for Christ, which is a huge bestseller. So you never know what God's going to do through the life of someone when you pray for them and you see them born again. For example, I read a quote from uh, Augustine often referred to as St. Augustine the other day, he called himself a son of his mother's tears. I thought, what a great description of how his mum must have cried out for her boy to be born again. This is like 300, you know, AD. Uh, and she didn't care about his career, his fame, his position. She just wanted to see him saved. But then, of course, what a giant of the faith her prayers produced because he went down in history as one of the great theologians of the early church. So whether someone becomes a famous theologian or a famous author or not, whether it's one person or a whole family or a whole community or a whole move in a workplace or a school or a uni or nationwide changes, it's, it's always God's will for people to be saved in whatever form and uh, to be called into his family be set into the house of God. And of course, our calling is to constantly pray for that, to use this amazing power and privilege and authority of prayer in the name of Jesus to spend that little bit longer in God's presence to feel his calling to pray for people. Pray for people who you might just forget about or dismiss, but to feel that stir and, and then pray, God, touch their hearts and give me opportunities to share the good news or move in that situation or move on that nation and bring something to, you know, that drama that's going on in the world. And, of course, as they say, it starts with us. Prayer, we pray that God will touch our hearts so that we, our hearts are softened, yeah, so that we sense his calling and that we follow his calling and his will to pray for others. Hallelujah. So I just want to encourage you, yeah, to keep, um, to keep, and look, let's face it, if you've been a Christian for a while and you're a half-decent Christian, you probably do pray these prayers, yeah? I mean, you know, if you feel challenged and you realise, wow, I never, I never pray more than God bless me, you know, well then feel a little challenged and spend that little bit, longer in the prayer closet, but perhaps you really do have prayed along those lines for that family member or that, this community or oh, for our nation and, you know, and it hasn't happened and there's no guarantees when, but the Bible does say, don't grow weary in doing good. Come on, yeah? You will reach a harvest if you don't give up. 
And so uh, Galatians 6, 9, so we keep praying, yeah? And we feel stirred and challenged and, uh, and not out of guilt, not a sense of being driven, just a sense of being stirred and called, yeah? Praise the Lord. Come on, let's finish with prayer. Yes, God, we thank you. Oh, we thank you for the power of prayer. We thank you, God, it can take us so many places and we do want to, we want to use all that you give us, every resource you give us. You, you say Elijah prayed, there was no rain, prayed again, the rain came, and then you say he was a man just like us. So it wasn't the power of Elijah, it was the power of prayer. And Lord, we want to use that. We want to feel that called, we intercede, not as a guilt-driven burden of, of any kind, but Lord, exciting. We want, to, we want to see you move. We think of revivals that have occurred and we pray again that you would move in our nation, in our community, people's lives, oh, soften hearts, stir people to come to you, to seek you, to be born again. We thank you for the power of Jesus. We proclaim Jesus. Jesus is Lord. We pray for people to align their lives with your will, your ways, found in your word. We thank you. There is truth for people to discover. There is a renewal, a resurgence, people finding that truth. So many crazy different versions of how to live life, but they're going to discover more and more. Jesus is the way. He's the one. And build my life on the rock. And love God. Let his love flood my life and help me to love others. Thank you, Lord God. Stir us, revive us. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.